1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Here we go. This is Bruce Aisley, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat was on the radio last week uh they they sort of contacted me they were interested in talking about this jeff bezos memo you know this jeff bezos memo that he wrote a shareholder's letter talking about how they've banned powerpoint in their meetings they they now just use these documents anyway someone from radio four contacted me and said do you want to come in and talk about it so i went in to talk about it and uh i just love how angry people get I saw a fabulous thing that David Bedil did last year. And he said, increasingly, we're using anger to define ourselves, right? I get angry about that. And that sort of is like a, an act of micro-positioning. It sort of directs your energy. It shows that you're against this and you're for this. Anyway, I said, uh, I said on the radio, that get and response. I, I work at Twitter. My day job is I work at Twitter. And on the radio, I said i get and respond to about a 1,000 emails a year from from Twitter users. And uh, someone got angry saying, that's not hard. Should be more. All right, Angry Anderson. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm just saying I was doing it. Anyway, beautiful bank holiday weather. Hope it choked back the anger with you and yours. I spent the weekend on a two-day mandate with my friend and brother, Hussein Manawar. He's a poet. He's like the millennials Benjamin Zephaniah. You're going to get to know him, man. He's just going to be like this incredible force. And he's playing a gig at the London Jazz Cafe on the 20th of June. So you should definitely do that. Check out his socials at Hussein's House. This guy is just like what you've been looking for. Unbelievable. Right, today's guest. Here's what's happened over the last few weeks. I've got the balance wrong, haven't I? I've got the balance. Too many people promoting books, too few scientists. So we are going Fully back to basics today. How much do you understand the brain and how it impacts how we work? If you could understand how the brain works, then maybe we could have sort of adapt the way that we're putting pressure on ourselves. So today I'm chatting to a neuroscientist, and he's a brain surgeon who talks us through the workings of the brain. There's several things that, like the sympathetic nervous system or the parasympathetic nervous system that you might have heard about, but like me, got confused what they actually did. James Doty is a neuroscientist, he's fascinated with happiness, and he's going to go on and explain how we can neuro-hack our brains to achieve more happiness. He's a professor of neurosurgery at Stanford University and founder of the Centre for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. He's written a best-selling book that's been translated into 31 languages. That's called Inside the Magic Shop, a neuroscientist's quest to discover the mysteries of the brain and secrets of the heart. So I phoned him while he was doing his real-life job of uh, being on call as as a brain surgeon. Let's do this properly. I asked him to go back to basics
2: and describe our brains and
1: how we got here.
2: As a species, we have evolved mechanisms that protect us and allow us also to flourish. You have to remember that our DNA has not significantly changed over the last 200,000 years when we were on the savannah in Africa. And the mechanisms that allowed us to survive in that particular situation uh, worked very well so if you saw the grass move or some other event occur that through pattern recognition alerted you to a possible threat you had this mechanism that would kick in called the sympathetic nervous system that is that functions at an unconscious level that would result in many changes in your physiology It would divert blood from your digestive system to your skeletal muscle to allow you to run fast. It would result in your pupils dilating. It would shut down other unnecessary parts of your physiology. You would have this release of hormones such as epinephrine, norepinephrine that would also increase your heart rate and blood pressure to supply your skeletal muscle. And as a result, you could escape, hopefully, the threat and survive. And this was perfectly fine in that environment. Additionally, you have to remember that in that environment, you would wake up when the sun rose and you would sleep when the sun set. There was no artificial lighting. People weren't calling you up all the time. People weren't showing up. You weren't surrounded by large numbers of people. And as a result, the other part of your autonomic nervous system, which is in some ways the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system, the system we call the rest and digest system, results in you having a feeling of calmness, you being relaxed, your sphincters relaxed, your blood going to your digestive system to digest food, etc. And this was the place where you were creative, you were productive, you were thoughtful, you were discerning. And in some ways, it was a slow system or is a slow system It allows you to contemplate, it allows you to think, it allows you to reflect. Uh, So it's a slow system, unlike the sympathetic nervous system, which is a reactive fast system. So it results in immediate decision-making and hopefully by short-circuiting deep thought or discerning thought, it's a reflex which allows you to survive.
1: Right. So we learn the basics of the systems of the brain and how they've worked. But how do we understand how modern work has actually impacted them?
2: The reality is in the modern world, you have to understand that technology and our present environment evolves much faster than our DNA and as a result we're the same person who was on the savannah in Africa and the mechanisms that allowed us to thrive and survive in that environment unfortunately often are deleterious to our thriving and well-being in the present environment and for many people that sympathetic nervous system is always engaged at a low level and what people don't understand is that their thoughts affect this mechanism. When you're anxious, uh, when you're fearful, when you're concerned, your sympathetic nervous system gets stimulated and for many people, there is the constant chronic low-level release of a variety of these hormones associated with the typical stress response and the chronicity of this has a very deleterious effect on your health as well as your judgment and your ability to discern and your ability to be productive and your ability to be creative. We often hear of talk of something called the placebo effect and this is this effect where we give individuals as an example medications and it has a significant physiologic effect Additionally, we see situations where people follow a particular spiritual leader and have uh, miraculous cures or have significant changes in their physiology being in the presence of certain individuals. And the reason I bring this up is that it demonstrates this innate ability within us through our mind to change our physiology. And that is, if you will, the mind-heart connection. And this system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, which are part of the autonomic nervous system, are a superhighway, if you will, that runs in two directions. And it has a large representation in the heart, but it also has a representation throughout all the organs of your body, including the gut. And so there's this constant two-way conversation between the two And we have the ability to alter or impact that conversation to benefit ourselves. And this is what I mean when I use the term neurohacking. James has got this idea that if we could take a tablet
1: that transformed our brains and the way our brain responded, we'd probably be really interested in it.
2: One example of neurohacking, which I use sometimes in lectures, uh, and I think it's a very powerful analogy, And it relates to what I uh, said a little bit earlier in regard to the placebo effect. If I came in front of a group of people and said, uh, and this is in the context of a realization that we have an epidemic of stress, anxiety and depression in Western society that has a huge impact on not only our personal lives, but our work lives and ultimately affects our longevity. So if I told a group of people that I had developed a pill or a medicine that had no side effects, that was essentially so easy to create from readily available ingredients, essentially at a very, very low cost, and that had a significant effect on the vast majority of people in regard to a variety of ills that are affecting our society to include not only the issues of stress, anxiety and depression but also blood pressure, uh, blood glucose levels, boosting the ability to boost your immune system, the ability to actually increase your telomere length which is on your genes which are associated with improving longevity. If I said that if you took this pill every day, it would have this effect on the vast majority of people. There would be tons and tons of investors, governments, etc., that would be at my doorstep begging to pay me to give that, uh, or to sell them that product. And then if I said, well, if you take this pill and then sit in silence for 20 minutes after taking the pill, you wouldn't need the pill, people are astonished but that's the reality and that is the ability which we have learned and which has been scientifically demonstrated in a variety of studies of our own ability within us to if you will neuro neurohack our brains to benefit ourselves and our health both mental and physical.
1: The discussion there of telomeres was fascinating because the the word telomeres appears all throughout Matthew Taylor's book Why We Sleep. It's uh, been a bestseller this year. Matthew Taylor talks about telomeres and says how sleep protects them. So I was interested. I did a bit of research the telomere. So telomere is from the Greek telos meaning end and meros meaning part so it's the end part and effectively the telomeres are the the essentially the bit if you imagine the double helix of dna and you've got those two coils turning around and the telomeres effectively the caps each strand of dna that protect our chromosomes so they sort of act if you imagine um DNA strands like shoelaces. These are the little caps that sit at the end of our shoelaces that stop them becoming frayed. So, James Doty here is saying that like sleep, meditation is a hack that appears to protect our telomeres. So he said that we can protect telomeres by sort of 20 minutes of sitting and meditation. Did you mean literally
2: sitting? Well, when I say sitting, I'm using that as a metaphor for essentially sitting in silence, recognizing how your thoughts in many ways are affecting your physiology especially in regard to tenseness of your muscles so consciously going through a survey if you will to relax in a systematic manner, all the muscles in your body which then allows you to focus also to recognize that all of us have a ongoing dialogue in our head which frankly the majority of people is not one of love and self-affirmation but is one of being hypercritical and and judgmental, telling you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, that you're a failure, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and understanding that you respond to these negative inputs in terms of your physiology in a bad way. Such thoughts result in something called decreasing your heart rate variability, depressing your immune system, increasing your blood pressure, all of these things have a very negative effect on your health. And so when you understand this and instead of trying to respond over and over or engaging with these thought process, you simply sit as a observer without responding. This in and of itself affects these different parameters. Then if you take the time to reaffirm that you're okay, that you're nice, that you deserve to be loved, that you are a good person, that majority of your actions are actually good actions. What happens is this idea of self compassion and being kind to yourself really reverses things. It shifts you from this engagement of your sympathetic nervous system to your parasympathetic nervous system, which really is the state we're designed to be in and when where our physiology works its best the other aspect is also that when you're able to decrease your own stress and anxiety levels and be kind to yourself then this changes your own perception of the world and then allows you to understand that everyone is suffering to some degree that oftentimes we make judgments That are invalid, and as a result, it allows you to have a much more or much greater degree of openness, sensitivity, and discernment in regard to events and individuals surrounding you which then allows you to make much better decisions and to do so in a calm thoughtful way
1: i've tried meditation and found it really difficult my my mind just couldn't get with it i wanted to understand the impact of meditation a bit more has he looked at the scientific proof of it
2: Yes, there's an ever-increasing uh, body of evidence. Uh, at Stanford, uh, we have developed within C-CARE, the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, which I founded in Direct, a technique called compassion cultivation. And it's a training program that spans eight weeks. And we have studied this fairly extensively. And there are other similar types of programs, which over and over again, demonstrate positive physiologic effect from these types of techniques. And in fact, in fact, uh, later this month, Oxford University Press Science and this volume, which is I think 550 pages, goes over the latest research in a variety of domains in regard to how compassion is at the centrality of our humanity and that by acting with compassion, it has a huge, huge, very positive effect on one's health, both mental and physical.
1: So this is interesting. Should employers help with these things?
2: Well, I think what we're seeing is, if you will, a tsunami of interest because there's ever-increasing amount of evidence that whether it's for the individual, whether it's in the context of education, in the context of business, in the context of healthcare, where again, stress, anxiety, and depression are quite prevalent, and even in the context of civic government, that these types of practices have a huge, huge impact. As an example, there are a number of studies now that demonstrate when an organization Organization embraces this concept of open dialogue, communication, concern about the other, that as a result, employees are, one, much more productive, two, much more creative, three, healthcare costs dramatically decrease, four, human resource expenditures dramatically decrease because what happens is individuals don't leave the workplace or their, their job. They are more likely to accept a promotion. They are more productive. So the other side of this I mentioned was health care. We see that expenditures in regard to stress, depression, anxiety dramatically decrease. We know there are also associated conditions with this mind-body disconnect such as headache, neck and back pain, gastrointestinal upset, sleep disorders, all of these are interrelated. And when you can create a work environment that understands the necessity, if you will, for compassion and utilizing these types of techniques, it has a huge, huge, very positive effect. And in my own area, which is, of course, healthcare, we have a huge epidemic of burnout where individuals leave the profession. And we are seeing that the incorporation, of these types of techniques and practices, again, have a huge dramatic effect. And then if you look at the educational environment, we see in grade schools that when we can give children tools to emotionally regulate to decrease their personal stress this allows them to attend and be present and focus which as a consequence decreases violence and improves academic performance and attendance so in every domain of life the centrality of compassion thoughtfulness that we're talking about have a huge huge effect so you know you simply need to look at how much is lost in businesses as an example in regard to decreased productivity etc in the business world and this exceeds 200 billion dollars a year
1: there's a lot of old school thinkers out there there seem to be some firms and some bosses who laugh at the idea of meditation and de-stressing
2: of course you have a subset of ceo or boss who laughs at these types of statements and these are the typical individuals who they feel that through dominance through force that this is the best way to achieve results. And even in the United States, because we have Wall Street and publicly traded companies, oftentimes there is this mentality that through force and through, if you will, negative behavior, screaming at people and creating this environment of fear, that that will obtain results. And it will. It will obtain results in the short term. But enough studies have been demonstrated that while that may be true, in terms of long-term term growth and performance, it just doesn't work. And this relates to actually another issue, which is the manner in which Wall Street or the financial institutions choose employees. You know, if you choose leaders who are rewarded for ruthless behavior, or if you will, being on the very edge of what is legal in terms of their behavior and not having a uh, sense of appropriate ethics, then this is what you will rot. Uh, You will get these types of individuals. And then you look at other situations where you have much more enlightened or thoughtful leaders. While there may still be some debate about this and some individuals may feel that this science isn't really science and it's fluffy. They're just wrong. This
1: is my overall feeling that there's plenty of research and science for those who look for it. No,
2: I think you're exactly right. And we also know that people want meaning in their lives. They want purpose. This is another innate thing within uh, an individual. And if you can be in a work environment where you can be supported, you feel that those you interact with are authentic and honest where you feel like you're part of a community and not a cog in a wheel that is easily replaceable, then that is the best environment. I don't know if you've seen the study, I think it's called the Aristotle study that Google did, but this is the study where they spent tens of millions of dollars because they're very interested in analytics and they wanted to know what is it that makes a team or a leader thrive. And as you may recall, they they initially, when they were founded, would only hire, the top percent of something like the top 15 universities in the world with the notion that this degree of brain power, of course would result in the best environment and the fact of the matter is they were 100% wrong and in fact if you look at the results of this study what are the things that have teams or leaders thrive it's authenticity it's uh, Understanding that people make mistakes and allow them to make mistakes, but also encourage them. It is um, creating an environment where there's not fear. And essentially, what this study demonstrated was, one... Zero, and I mean zero correlation between grade point average, the school you attended in terms of you succeeding. Two, that the fundamental aspects which we're talking about here in terms of what has allowed humanity to survive, which is community, connection, authenticity, vulnerability, those characteristics are absolutely essential to success in the corporate environment and in the environment overall. Again, they frankly were shocked by this because again, it demonstrated that their underlying assumptions were 100% false. And this is why we see as an example that having brain power in the context of being able to achieve in an academic environment is not the same as what is necessary to succeed in life. What you need to succeed in life, what you need to have to allow you to thrive are all the characteristics that we have been talking about, which is community, connection, authenticity, vulnerability, and a feeling of safety.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot
1: Thank you to the brilliant James Doty. Like I say, his book, uh, Inside the Magic Shop, A Neuroscientist's Quest to Discover the Mysteries of the Brain, is an international bestseller. But I'm thrilled he took time out to chat to me and to explain how he saw the brain and neuroscience linking together.
0: Hold up.